an experience of absolute evil. An extraordinary journey into the unknown awaits you. Adios, Green! Hello, everybody. Welcome to the very first bonus episode for Zaxploitation, presented by Duck and the Usher. Uh, I'm your host, Zachary W. Fisher, and with this bonus episode uh, and moving forward in the future, it'll be a way for me to delve into the world of the bargain bin basement bastard films of uh, horror and exploitation, cult, and B-movies. Um, a lot of times on the regular show, we just talk about, um, you know, little... Uh, sleeper hits and favorites from everybody's childhood or past. And we don't always necessarily like lean into the horror or, you know, uh, genre films. Uh, so this is an opportunity for me to talk about some of the more like weird and obscure, uh, movies that, uh, aren't always <laughs> well known or, or favorites, but if you have a, a love for schlocky B movies and horror movies or cult films that are, uh, you know, typically outside of the mainstream, this is a, uh, a cool way to discover something unless you already do know a good deal about horror and exploitation then uh strap in you might uh hear about something that you enjoy and um you know i might talk about something that, that's brand new to me as well and uh so it's going to be uh a lot of fun and i don't think it's going to be nearly as long as our regular episodes but i'll do my best to, to keep them kind of brief and um in uh, in the future i won't focus on just uh, one movie like we do on our regular episodes. I'm probably going to like talk about a whole host of things. I might, I might focus in on like one type of director or one, uh, you know, a sub genre or, or even just a wacky urban legend story, depending on what it is. Cause it's a pretty, a pretty loose, uh, loosely defined term exploitation is. So there's a whole lot of, uh, uh, footwork or <laughs> that I can do, uh, and dive into multiple, um, different areas of this very uh, large umbrella term that is exploitation. So um, if you're not a, like a regular horror fan or into uh, this sort of subculture, uh, you're probably asking yourself, Fish, what is an exploitation film? Well, I'm glad you asked me. Uh, I, I did some uh, cursory research and tried to get a little bit more of a, a succinct and uh, uh, apt description for what it is. So from from my Wikipedia page, I, gra I gathered a number of... Uh, uh, little characteristics of what loosely defines uh, an exploitation film. So an exploitation film is a film that attempts to succeed financially by exploiting current trends. They could be niche genres uh, and, and lurid content. And these films are generally low quality B movies as they're oftentimes referred. Uh, they attract critical attention and they build cult followings. Uh, many of these films set trends that become historically uh, significant later. Um, one I could point to would be like Night of the Living Dead from 1968 and George Romero. It was the first, not the first zombie movie, but the first of its kind to sort of uh, define uh, that sort of Romerian zombie that we know today. Not, not your fast runners like 28 Days Later or even Dawn of the Dead, which is a remake of a George Romero film, but the slow shambling uh, 
groany style of zombie that in small numbers aren't very dangerous, but when you get hordes of them, they can be a problem. Uh, so uh, things like that. And um, the genre films uh, typically kind of do what, what's called market exploitation, where uh, they pretty much are always low budget, and sometimes they're blurred together with uh, independent films <clears throat> and other movies of the like. Exploitation films usually feature a wide range of taboo subjects, and they depict the, the more darker and bizarre sides of things like sex and drugs, uh, brutal violence, extreme gore, vandalism, destruction, rebellion, and all manners of mayhem. Uh, as early as the 1920s, such films started to emerge, essentially since the invention of the camera. If you could point it at weird shit, they were going to do it. Um, <clears throat> essentially, the, uh, or I'm sorry, excuse me, the, in the 60s and 70s, when uh, censorship was relaxed and movies were starting to show more uh, shocking things on film, these types of movies gained popularity. Uh, the MPAA tried to maintain an image of <clears throat> a more sanitized Hollywood uh, but these filmmakers were outside of that particular world and embraced the controversy as uh, free publicity. In academic circles, the term paracinema is often heard. It's a word first defined by uh, cultural historian Jeffrey Sconce. Paracinema refers to a wide variety of film genres out of the mainstream. In terms of taste and attitude and cinema practice, paracinema is similar to camp, and both are conceptually linked to trash and kitsch in the world of cult cinema. Sconce describes paracinema as an extremely elastic contextual category, quote-unquote. In his 1995 article for Screen, Trashing the Academy, Taste, Excess, and an Emerging Politics of Cinematic Style, Sconce writes, In addition to art film, horror, and science fiction films, paracinema catalogs uh, include entries from uh, disparate genres of uh, bad film, splatterpunk, mondo films, Sword and Sandal epics, Elvis flicks, government hygiene films, <laughs> uh, Japanese monster movies, uh, beach party musicals, and just about every other historical manifestation of exploitation cinema, from juvenile delinquency documentaries to pornography. So exploitation is pretty loosely defined and has more to do with the viewer's perception than its actual content. Uh, these films all possess a fearlessness shared with the likes of transgressive Euro directors like Derek Jarman. Uh, Luis Buñuel, uh, I believe we even brought him up briefly on our uh, episode for Johnny Got His Gun. He did uh, the scene involving uh, Donald Sutherland as as Jesus. Um, and then you have like Jean-Luc Goddard. Uh, and, and these guys were pretty good at handling disreputable content, as most films of these kinds are. Um, films considered classics by many contain levels of sex, violence, and shock usually only associated with exploitation films like Kubrick's uh, A Clockwork Orange, Todd Browning's Freaks, and even Polanski's Repulsion. Exploitation flicks often exploit actual news events in the short-term public consciousness as well, like Child Bride in 1938, which dealt with older men marrying very young women in the Ozarks, or Reefer Madness when the uh, smear campaign started up against marijuana. Uh, with enough incentive, even major studios might even become involved. In 1969, uh, Warner Brothers made an anti-LSD, anti-counterculture film called The Big Cube. In 38, uh, Sex Madness portrayed the dangers of VD from premarital sex. Uh, Mom and Dad was another film from 1945 about pregnancy and childbirth. And the <laughs> terribly titled She Should Have Said No in 1949 used these themes of drug use and promiscuity. Um... 
In these early days of film, exploitation films relied on the sensationalization of these subjects because they had to present them from a very morally conservative viewpoint so as to avoid censorship because movies then were not considered um, to enjoy First Amendment protection. Fiction also has these types of themes of sex, drugs, and violence. In fact, a depiction of violence in art, culture, and mass media has been the source of uh, endless controversy for centuries. Western art portrays the passion of Christ in graphic forms for eons. Uh, same with war. In modern times, movies often feature battles or violent crimes. Uh, Margaret Bruder, a uh, PhD in um, comparative literature, film studies, and American studies, says in her piece, uh, aestheticizing, aestheticizing, <laughs> if I'm saying that correctly, uh, aestheticizing violence. The aestheticization of violence in film is the depiction of violence uh, in a uh, stylistically excessive way which is uh, significant and sustained in a way which the audience members are able to connect references from the play of images and signs to artworks and general conventions, or I'm sorry, genre conventions, cultural symbols and concepts. Uh, in literature, there's also exploitation fiction. The 1930s and 40s saw the rise in pulp fiction, a trash fiction produced in the form of mass market paperbacks well into the 50s and 60s where most of the material could be seized as obscene. Um, pulp magazines, also known as pulps, uh, were always uh, inexpensive and were made of cheap wood pa uh, pulp paper. Pulps were novels that would uh, exploit violence, drugs, and sex, especially promiscuity and lesbianism, but uh, rarely delivered the kind of salacious detail the cover art might imply. And they tack on a, a sort of moralistic ending to satisfy critics that accuse them of having no redeeming social value. As, uh, as film production codes loosened, you'd see the pulps and exploitative fiction uh, lead to exploitation cinema. This was also parallel to the development of giallo cinema. Uh, giallo is the Italian word for yellow. It uh, designates uh, mystery fiction uh, derived from a series of uh, cheap paperback mystery novels with yellow covers uh, that were pretty popular in the uh, post-fascist Italy. Uh, but I'll, I'll save Giallo for uh, its whole own episode. I'll, I'll dive into its history and can, you know, elaborate more on that, as I will with multiple other subgenres, of which there are numerous, and they are wacky. Um, another, um, <laughs> another sweet tick kiss in the heel of Hollywood was, the, uh, was Poverty Row Studios, quote-unquote, Poverty Row. Uh, these types of studios were often exploit, would often exploit major studio projects. They'd make these films fast and cheap and in rapid succession to take advantage of any publicity the uh, attached to uh, major productions. For example, Howard, or, um, Edward L. Alperson produced William Cameron Menzies' film Invaders from Mars to beat Paramount Pictures' production of, of director George Powell's The War of the Worlds from 1953. Um, they did that to get it out before the major release could, uh, and so they beat it to cinemas and that's still very prevalent today, too. There's a studio called The Asylum that uh, puts out a lot of very cheap and um, direct-to-DVD um, kinds of titles that, that kind of loosely mimic more popular titles um, in, the, in the major uh, studio system. Pals, uh, The Time Machine was also beaten to the cinemas by Edgar G. Ulmer's film Beyond the Time Barrier. So naturally, major studios, producers, and stars keep their projects secret. This sort of started that whole trend of uh, 
putting on a uh, sort of a, a decoy working title onto films. I think the famous one is Blue Harvest, the one they attached to um, uh, Return of the Jedi, so that you know press couldn't get in and, and leak any images of the uh, the upcoming film back in the was it nineteen eighty two or one <clears throat> when they were filming Return of the Jedi. Uh, it's still a major problem today with what has been dubbed uh, remixploitation or mockbusters, uh, as I mentioned with Asylum. These are copycat movies. They jump back. Uh, they jump on the back of advertising for uh, wildly promoted movies or widely promoted movies. I can't read my own handwriting, it seems. Um, they intentionally model their titles and their logo designs after major releases, which causes market confusion. Uh, so unobservant consumers inadvertently purchase or rent these films by mistake. You may have remembered the days of yore when you would walk into a blockbuster and you'd see a movie that looked very close to a major title and you would take it home and you'd realize this isn't the movie at all. And so that practice is still very much alive today. <clears throat> uh, after uh, major releases, I'm sorry, inadvertently, um, they would purchase these and they'd rent these by mistake. And uh, you'd see that sometimes with like Thor or War of the Worlds. You'd go in and you'd see uh, some other title that, that, that fits it closely. Asylum Films started in 1997. Uh, and they're notorious for just what we were talking about. They produced uh, such classics as Transmorphers, which is a offshoot of Transformers. Uh, and they did H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. Uh, both were released in the same year. Um... Uh, as Spielberg's projects, <clears throat> both the uh, his War of the Worlds in uh, in 2007, I think, is when he produced uh, Transformers. He didn't direct that one, but I think he was involved. Um, so they they're also responsible for uh, the Day the Earth Stopped, which is a a cheap remake of uh, Day the Earth Stood Still. I believe that one came out with Keanu Reeves, the remake for that one. Um, <clears throat> needless to say. They have a lot of uh, legal issues and lawsuits. As recently as 2013, legal action was taken against them for the movie Age of the Hobbits, later renamed Lord of the Elves, <laughs> which was free-riding on the worldwide promotional campaign of Peter Jackson's upcoming Hobbit movies. <laughs> so, you can see that a lot, even today. Drive-in theaters had been a popular cinema structure as early as the uh, 1920s, and peaked in the 40s and, and as well through to the 60s. But by the 60s, grindhouse theaters became popular and showed primarily exploitation films. These continued strongly through the uh, 1970s until um, ultimately saw a decline in the 80s due to the advent of home video. <clears throat> Drive-ins in the uh, 70s saw a decline and also started showing exploitation films as a way to bring back patrons. And many of these films were made directly for the drive-in market. Uh, this leads to the theory about the origin of the word grindhouse. Producers would grind these films out. And so we have B-movies, cult films, midnight movies, and video nasties, which were some terms used in the UK, which refers to the number of films, <clears throat> to a number of films rather, distributed on video cassette and criticized for their violent content. Some of the major players and sub-genres in the uh, exploitation world would be like Roger Corman, Herschel Gordon-Lewis, who did like the splatter stuff, Lucille Fulci, Dario Argento, Russ Meyer, uh, and even George Romero was part of that movement, uh, only his, his movies ended up being a little more popular than some of these. Um, <clears throat> and some of the more batshit crazy um, sub-genres of exploitation usually revolve around some kind of play on the word 
itself. So there's a lot of pun work, um, which I'm very thankful for because I like a good pun. Uh, so yeah, the thirties and forties, like cautionary films, like reefer madness or uh, child bride, which I mentioned before biker films were prevalent. Hell's angels on wheels from 1967 born losers and even motor psycho. You have a uh, black exploitation, which is uh, usually has uh, African American um, actors geared toward uh, black American audience. They typically had them, you know, bucking some kind of authoritarian uh, system. You know, you had Shaft, Sweet Sweetbacks, Badass, Song, Blackula, Dolomite, uh, Foxy Brown. <clears throat> Those types of movies. I'm going to do a whole episode on that whole subgenre as well. There's cannibal films like Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, and even recently there was a Eli Roth's movie, The Green Inferno, which is sort of an homage to that style. That one came out a few years ago. Um, Canucksploitation is a Canadian-made movies car exploitation which involves cars racing them or crashing them um roger corman's death race 2000 the mad max series um <clears throat> anything involving uh you know motorheads there's uh shambara films i believe is a form of like the japanese like samurai movies giallo films which i mentioned before mockbusters remake exploitation mondo films which are also called shockumentaries which deal with like real world exotic locales they would use in their movies and they would set up some kind of legitimately exploitative way of looking at, I believe uh, faces of death is an example of a Mondo film. Um, there's also your classic monster movies, Nazi exploitation, nudist films, Ozploitation, which are Australian made uh, exploitation films. They have the revenge and rape films like I spit on your grave uh, or Last House on the Left. Typically, these are kind of hard to watch. <clears throat> uh, Red exploitation, which is involves Native Americans, and and some of these, uh, some of the terminology is, is less than delicate. Sex exploitation, I believe, is pretty uh, <laughs> pretty self explanatory. It's usually like some kind of like low quality softcore pornography. It's never usually like hardcore <clears throat> slasher films. Space exploitation involving outer space. Spaghetti westerns splatter films, women in prison films, and then you have even more minor subgenres of those major ones. Action exploitation, Brit exploitation, Bruce exploitation, which is making movies that that about a character who looks and acts like Bruce Lee. <clears throat> which I think is a real thing that came out of these uh Hong Kong studios making movies um with old footage of Bruce Lee even after he died. They I think they completed a film with body doubles and even tried to like make a, a entirely separate film that looked like Bruce Lee. I'm not a hundred percent accurate on that. I watched a documentary about Kung Fu and martial arts movies where <clears throat> that was a, a feature of the story. Uh, then there's category three films, which is more quasi pornographic movies. And that term is specifically means the type of rating system that they would use in Hong Kong. Uh, category three was generally more geared to the 18 and up crowd and was quasi pornographic, a lot like softcore. Chop sake is another style. I'm not 100% what that is either. I believe it's a part of the martial arts, uh, kung fu movies. Uh, there's Christ exploitation that deals with biblical style, <clears throat> um, usually involving the J Man, I, I, I reckon. Goth exploitation, hippie exploitation, martial arts films. Uh, and then there's mech exploitation about Mexican made uh, exploitation films. Even, uh, <clears throat> I believe Tarantino lifted a name out of this subgenre to use in the movie Inglorious Bastards. There was a character named Hugo Stiglitz, 
which is a name for a Mexican actor uh, whose name is Hugo Stiglitz. And he's, he's still alive today, and he was he starred in a lot of those early uh, Mexploitation movies back in the day. And you can see where Tarantino gets his inspiration from. Ninja films, like in canon, canon films, <clears throat> where there was always Ninja 1, 2, and 3, and all those um, martial arts films that were just bad and schlocky. Nunsploitation. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce this one, but it's uh, it's a Japanese style called Pinku Aiga, which means pink films, which is sort of a Japanese-specific kind of sexploitation. You have shark exploitation. That one's pretty easy to guess what that is. Sharks are involved. You know, you see a lot of those still um, coming out today. They draw audiences. The Meg, you know, um, uh, Jaws is a big one. Um, what's another one? 47 meters down. Um, and then you have all those wacky, uh, like, three-headed shark versus the octopus or some fucking thing. <clears throat> uh, stoner films. Stoner films are, you know... Pretty well known. Yeah, Cheech and Chong are a part of that. It sort of qualifies as exploitation. One of my favorites is The Stoned Age, which is kind of a poor man's uh, dazed and confused. That one's pretty good. Swim exploitation, which deals with specifically swimming. Um, teen exploitation, you know, teenage drama and/or horror. You have Turk exploitation. I guess those are Turkish-made movies. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, vigilante films, and uh, not to be confused with the title of this show, Zach Exploitation is also a South African style of exploitation. I I'm not it's Z A X exploitation, but the Z and the A are capitalized, and I just discovered that after you know doing a little more research into the subgenre. So I was always I'm wondering if that should have been S A for South Africa. Saxploitation, but anyway, they call it Zaxploitation, not to be confused with the title of this show. And then you have Z movies, which are lower than B. Uh, and those are just many of the different styles that uh, I'll talk about in the future. And, um, you know, I'll, 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 I'll take little deep dives into these, uh, into directors, or I'll focus on a certain era or style. So there's a lot to unpack and more than enough weird shit out there to keep us coming back. Um, so if you are interested in any of that, I'll be here every other week, um, when we don't have a major episode on and, uh, next time I'll, I'll, I'll probably have a guest with me or just a, a second person here to, you know, keep me, uh, uh, or I'll keep them entertained and keep the, uh, the show, um, more than just listening to me go off about random weird ass shit. So uh, thanks for tuning in. I want to thank all of our, our patrons and listeners out there. Um, we appreciate all your support. We have our sponsors over at Copper Fox Tattoo Company. Um, show them some love if you're in the market for a tattoo. And I will catch you next time with Zach's Exploitation. <laughs>